Hello and welcome back to The Drop and welcome myself back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella and after a month-ish long sabbatical, I'm back and I'm gonna be joined shortly by Brendan Buckley to discuss everything that happened this week in surfing. Uh, a few of the things we're gonna go over are Van Stab High presented by Monster Energy, episode one from Lakey Peak. We talked about it on this podcast before, but we are now going to talk a little bit more inside about the first episode and some things that we saw and heard and watched. After that, we're going to talk about probably one of the best, if not the best, pieces of written work that we've had on Stab Premium this year. It's actually by a Stab Premium member, just somebody wrote in a story to us, and we were blown away by how incredible it is. It's about localism in general, and it just brings up some really interesting topics in surfing. We're also going to be chatting about the best surfing I've ever seen by Taylor Steele. It involves a session, or a section, or two sections actually, from Kelly Slater that you will undoubtedly recognize, and it was actually my favorite surf sections growing up, so I was really happy to see it put together by Taylor Steele and the Stab team on this one. We're also going to be talking about CT surfers who are earning a university degree, which is a pretty wild concept that hasn't really been done until now, and now there's three of them doing it. And last but not least, we're going to get into mid-lengths. Are they anything more than just sexed up woke mini-mails? We'll have an answer for you. And of course, a surf's in, so let's jump straight into it. All right, Mikey Ciaramella is back. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that we're coming straight back into some crazy surf news, actually. I saw last week that you were with Leo Fioravanti at the pool in Alaya Bay, Switzerland, and he didn't have a sticker on. We, of course, learned this week that he and Quicksilver have parted ways. And I think you maybe mentioned some inside source stuff that we might be finding out in the next couple of weeks about other board rider surfers doing the same thing. Ooh, a couple of weeks. Could be a few days, my friend. Um... So November 1st is a very, very big day for surf contracts. That is because Board Riders, the company that owns Quicksilver, Billabong, Ruka, a few more, Element, if you want to do some fucking kickflips, but um, they run their fiscal year so that it ends at the end of October. So basically any money they spend November 1 onward is out of the 2023 budget. And so from what we understand, when COVID came and... There's that force majeure clause, which basically says, hey, act of God, pretty much if if some unprecedented, unforeseeable event happens, we could pretty much ignore anything that's been written on this piece of paper and do whatever we want. COVID happens, force majeure comes out, a lot of their a lot of the surfers got their contracts rewritten as a result, and a lot of these deals had this kind of two year gap where they or two year period where they would end on November 1st of this year. So that was the deal with Leo's. Um, and yeah, he's already surfing no sticker. And we were talking about it in Switzerland. He's, he's, and you could tell when you read his Instagram post, but he's, his headspace is incredible. It seems right now. Um, even in his post, he just talked about how grateful he was for the time he spent there, but he is far from the only person implicated here. There's going to be some changes. We can't talk about them yet. Next week's episode will be a lot, a lot of stuff there to get into. But this is going to be a hot week for surf sponsorship. The biggest kind of shakeup we've seen in years. So get ready for it. Oh, scandalous. All right. Well, I guess with that, let's get into this week's news. Let's go. Watch Van Stab High Indonesia presented by Monster Energy episode one. Oh boy. It's here. How quick. I mean, a lot of people were working on this, but 
you just got back from Indo, and now there's a there's a 51 minute episode from a trip that you were there. Yeah, I feel like I just left. Like I feel I did just leave Indonesia, but I feel like I just left Lakey Peak because I had that weird like interim where I stayed in Indo and just got back. Yeah, just it literally feels like this just happened. And watching episode one, it actually felt a lot like it felt while we were there as well. Like sometimes you you're there for something. And then you, you know, a film is made about that thing and it like doesn't have the same energy or vibe as when you were there. But this is like, I think a really, really good example of what it felt like at there at, on the tower at Lakey Peak. I agree. I agree. And if you like uh, hearing Mike and I talk, you're going to get a lot of that in this episode. We were judging it along with Nate Fletcher, Holly Wan and Oni Anwar. And we were mic'd up the whole time. So... I think I wrote about it. I said, we don't have an ivory tower. Our tower is made of wood and crumbling cement. And so you just get to hear us talk about what we thought of the waves while we give the score. Imagine if WSL judges did that. I don't want to like, because I could be totally wrong here, but is this the first time in a surf event, like a legit surf event, where the judges <laughs> are also the commentators? Mm. I mean... What do you you want to go back to some like South Carolina ESA where that was probably the case? Like, what do you what do you? No, no, and you know, I'm talking like a professional surf event, like like something that is you know people put proper money and time into producing it, as we obviously have with Stab High here. Like, I I can't think of an event where that was really the case. Like in the WSL, the judges are obviously so like cordoned off, like they're they're not allowed to talk. They have like fucking like basically blinders between them. Yeah, this is just such a different environment. The judges basically saying like, what, you're going to give it that score? And like convincing each other and doing all the, the things that people who are supposed to be unbiased shouldn't be doing. Uh, but it was great fun. It was great fun. And it feels, okay, a first in modern times, because I feel like there's probably like a decade where surf contests as just a genre where Randy Rarick with a little uh, plastic table, a bullhorn and a clipboard. And that was just it. That was what the world title was for like a decade, probably. So... First one in this era, but uh, it was fun. Yeah, it was fun to to not just be a semi-anonymous person in a booth like an elitist giving a score. We had to put our thoughts out there and explain why we why we gave the scores that we did. Yeah, and it was so good. Um, well, first of all, we had One Anwar with us, who is a Lakey Peak local. He's obviously gone out into the world, surfed a bunch of QS events, and he came back and was one of the five judges. The other two, other than us, were Nate Fletcher, who's like, pretty much the unassailable god of air surfing and surfing in general, whose opinion nobody can argue he with. He might be god in general. <laughs> he might be. And then we brought Holly Wan to the dark side. Can you believe we got her on the same team as me? I could not believe that. And it was good. I liked the chemistry, and I think she did get a taste for what it's like to make some hard decisions. She got a taste of mall cop life there. She did, and I, I think she kind of liked it. She, like, sort of pretended, like, oh, you know, like, she... she tried to keep it like free and easy and light like she does but at the same time i think she sort of liked the power she, she got the taste of blood and yeah she she enjoyed it oh man maybe she should be the next stab high way mall cop that, that the first episode is out it details the um qualifying round so the first six heats of the men 24 surfers paddle out in four or six different heats four people apiece best air in each heat moves on to the next round the remaining 18 surfers who didn't win their heats are then put onto a leaderboard for the whole entire day. So they go against one another, and the best six airs from those 18 join the heat winners in the first round, is what we're, call we're calling it round one, even though it's kind of round two. But anyway, round one will be the second episode, and that's straight airs, and it will also include the ladybirds. So that was a really confusing way to explain all of that, but I hope you understood it, podcast listeners. 
I mean, we got more episodes coming. It's, you're not gonna you're gonna be able to make sense of it as the series trucks on. Just watch it, and you'll, it'll make perfect sense. You'll get it. But another thing, 20k prize for both the men's winner and the winning ladybird. 15k for the monster air, and the men's winner is going to pipe masters. That is the last pipe master vans pipe masters yeah we're going to be seeing the winner named in three weeks now uh once the last episode of van stab high goes live and we'll know the last person getting into the vans pipe masters which is again a very contentious topic it is it is and i do want to bring the conversation back to nathan fletcher for a minute there because i feel like one of the best things i mean there's so many good things about having him there just Everything that falls out of that man's mouth is somehow profound, whether you're judging and it's the seventh hour being out in that tower in a day, or it's like profound the sun is rising. and hilarious, too. Yeah, it's like he just doesn't, everything that comes out, you're like, how did you, how do you do that? Like, how do you, how does your brain work that way? And how do you word it in a way that's like so uniquely his own and still just stops to make you think? You go, wow, there's a lot of wisdom packed into those like four words. Um, He's great, but I think one of the other great things about having them there is, I mean, surfing is subjective. It's subjective when you have a paragraph of a WSL criteria written down, but when you're talking about errors, it's like as subjective as it gets. And when you have Nathan Fletcher there, whenever there's anything kind of controversial, it's like no surfer in the world is going to go up to Nathan Fletcher and be like, hey man, like you're wrong about this. You know, it's like, you just (laughs) kind of feel like you have Nathan as this like fatherly figure of like a buffer between you and the servers that you just know of like, hey, Nate says an eight, like (laughs) you're going to tell him he's wrong. Go ahead. Like go go, try. And not because he's like scary just because like everybody respects him so much. You know, he's like the loveliest guy, but I think everybody just like respects what he's done so much. That's like, who the fuck is going to go up to Nathan Fletcher and try to argue with him over over how something works in surfing? Who, really? Yeah, it makes our job easier. It makes the whole contest more legitimate. He's a joy to be around, so long live Nate Fletcher. Yeah, and another thing, just because this episode goes into the venue a good bit, which, as you all know, is Lakey Peak. First time there for us, and I was just so surprised by that wave and how heavy it is, actually. Like, we had some surfs out there where... There are waves that people didn't want. Like it was there there were people there was fear in the water there some days. And to run an air contest in waves that are fear producing but also kind of good for airs. Um very good for airs in most cases. It was it was to me it felt like an evolution for air surfing and it was just awesome to witness. Yeah, I mean let's call a spade a spade. We got so lucky with conditions. Like we had an eight day window for this event. It was flat before it, it was flat after it, and within that eight-day window, there were three proper-sized Indo swells that just, like, produced crazy ramp after crazy, crazy ramp. And the other thing is, like, I went into this thing, like, oh, man, it sucks so bad for anybody that was going to be at Lakey Peak already. Like, oh, this is, like, my, you know, two-week vacation, I'm going to Lakey Peak, going to surf a ton, have, you know, get great waves. Um, but it turned out that, one, they a lot of people that were going to go there were sort of told either by the the location that they were staying at or somebody else that they knew that Stab High was going on. So most of the people that were there knew it was going to happen. And then I don't think anybody would have wanted to surf Lakey Peak while we were out there anyway. It was no. like the furthest thing from user-friendly. These are not waves that you just like paddle out in to have a good time if you're a normal surfer. No, no. These are waves that you just... I There's a lot of days where I don't think... I think the lineup would have been empty. Even when I was saying that, he's like, yeah, if we weren't here, like nobody would be out. <laughs> 
So, yeah, we lucked out. Everybody, yeah, it just, it went as well as it could have. So I'm so excited to get the first episode out and the three episodes after that and announce our winner. So uh, this is like the one thing this week that I feel like you just have to watch. And it's free. It's not even behind the paywall, so anybody can watch. It's free. You don't have to be a shark attack survivor to go watch it. You can watch it just for free. So go get there, folks. You will love it. I'm going to interrupt regular programming here for a um, special grab. From the one and only. What what did Nathan say about you, Huey Vaughan? A pro league or um, major league air guy. How does that sound? Sounds mental. What's it like to hear that kind of praise coming from someone like Nathan Fletcher? Oh, it's the best. What more what, what can you get? <laughs> Nothing, that's it. So we've just sat down at your place and watched episode one of Stab High. Did you get nervous? Was it like watching someone... At a, on a play in a cinema or were you, were you pretty confident you went pretty well? No, I was pretty confident I went pretty well but um, yeah, first time seeing the waves like seeing my ears so yeah, it was sick sick seeing everyone else go pretty high and yeah, it was sick Who's your favourite surfer there? Probably Noel Dean yeah. Who'd you share a room with? Noel Hill, yeah Two completely different Noahs, eh? Yeah, both legends. And who is your favourite person at Stab? Um, Ethan, um, Ethan Davis, yeah. Easily so good. Why, why do you say that? Just such an easy win. What, what did he do for you? Was he making your dinner every night or? Nah, when I landed in Bali, we just went back to our place and like such a chill dude, um... Yeah, such a legend. Um, yeah. And then we just hung out at it, Lakey Pete. And your least favourite person at Stab Magazine? <laughs> Unholy Potato. Yeah, it makes sense. Pretty unlikable character, but um, <laughs> yeah. No, well, that's how it goes. Huey, episode one was amazing. Congratulations. Prison, mindfulness and late stage localism. Okay, Mikey, you were in this one from the ground level. We get a lot of random emails. Um, Many of them do not really bear fruit. I mean, we appreciate anybody that takes time to reach out to us, especially if they're sharing an idea, something they've been thinking about. It's great. Thank you. We love you. Um, This kind of sounded like something that was going to be the... On the useless end of the spectrum, it was a guy kind of saying like, hey, my shrink recommended that I write this just to kind of process it all and open up the attachment. And it's our site has a little algorithm it uses to spit out the amount of time it should take you to read it. Uh, 25 minute read, it says, um, that I don't think you could start and not get to the bottom of. On the reading time part, I also noticed that um, in the editor's note of this story, you said that it took you 20 minutes to get to the end of the story. So do you think you're better than us, Buck? Yeah, absolutely. I read read fast as hell. (laughs) I want a spelling bee in second grade too. (laughs) To your point, um, I was right there with you. I opened this email. I think I was actually the one that was like, hey, did you read this yet? Because I opened it and wasn't expecting much. And I got got through a paragraph or two and I was like, this is pretty good. And then I just found myself at the bottom of the thing. And I was like, holy shit, this is unbelievable. Um, So old toenail, absolutely bringing it home. I'd say probably... One of the better written pieces we've had this year, easily. Easily. Easily, in my opinion, yeah. And 
it does talk about localism. That's kind of the whole thing. I mean, it's, it's mostly about how much surf culture has changed. Uh, old Tonal talks about what he's been through and paints a picture of this small town, which he doesn't state where it is, gives a few clues. Go in there, comment, speculate. But talks about how much the culture has changed there, especially with newer, wealthier people in the water. Um, and honestly, I realize how bad that can sound. Like, I feel like complaining about that shit is just so, it's painful. It's almost more painful to me than, than actually just dealing with more people in the water. But the way he goes about it, I mean, he, he's kind of has these moments where he's a bit self-depreciating and he kind of sees big picture, like sees how kind of silly it is for, it's really hard to explain, but there's magic here. It's, it's his way of describing it is to me the best take on how much surf culture has changed. I've read. Yeah. I, sometimes when I read pieces like this, like I kind of don't even like know what, like, I know I like the piece, but I don't know how I really feel about it. So I'd go down to the comments to try to see what other people have said and be like, yes, that's the one. Um, so one of the comments that I really liked was from Jesse McDermott Hughes. And he said, I really enjoyed reading this one. It was beautifully descriptive. Somehow I both agree and disagree with its sentiments. I don't really know how I feel about localism. I think Stab should encourage its readers to send in more personal essays. If a tiny fraction of them are about as good as this one, it would definitely be worthwhile. So agree with all those points. I also don't really know how I feel about localism. Like it's it's not this black and white thing for me. I see its benefits. I see its downfalls. Um, some of the stuff Old Tonale was saying was like so spot on to me. Some of the other things were like, ah, I don't know. Um, but I still, I, I love the piece. And um, yeah, if you are a Stab reader, especially if you're a Stab premium member, you should, and you have a, a story to tell, you should not be afraid to send it in to Buck and myself, Buck at StabMag.com, Michael at StabMag.com. We'll read them. Um, we won't necessarily publish them if we don't think it's a good fit, but it's always worth a try. And I wonder too, like this guy talks about being working class, kind of alludes to the fact that he's a blue collar worker, Um I don't even, like, how do you get this good at writing if you're not, like, if you don't do that every day? I have no idea. It's, like, it's, there's a lot of people who do it a lot and aren't that good. I'm one of them. <laughs> um, so, anyway, this is, again, one of those stories that, and maybe we say this too often so that it, it loses value, but this really is, like, if you're going to read a stab story this week or this month, it's probably should be this one. Yeah, I agree. Go get there. Best surfing I've ever seen, Taylor Steele. Okay, so you may be familiar with the Best Surfing I've Ever Seen series that we do now. Photos for a bit, now it's video. Taylor Steele, I mean, has anybody seen more good surfing than this guy? Could you build a case for that, Mikey? Yeah, I guess you'd have to. I mean, good surfing in the early 2000s sense, but yeah, he's he's been around. He's been around. And I guess, yeah, okay, it's, there's a timestamp there, but still, like, relative to... Actually, no, I'm going to build the argument that it is best of, and I'm going to use this one as as an example because, again, I, I wrote the little blurb for this thing, so I was reading into some things and trying to provide some good context. And this was shot in 2005 in February, and in March that year, there was a contest on the Gold Coast kicking off the year. That was Kelly's second wave of world titles right like he won those ones in the 90s and then he went on again to just win way more so 
I mean, for him to put that much into a surf film, like this was your world champion and this was the best surf film of that year. And for that to come together, like even, I don't think you could build an argument that anything has been better just in terms of what it meant at that time. I don't think you could build an argument for anybody seeing better surfing than Taylor Steele, especially this Kelly section. Wow. And I'd never put that together, the timing of it. Like, it's actually crazy that 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 didn't get put into letting go because you could say that that was sort of the turning point, right? Like if if he had that session or that swell before he started the 2005 season, which was the first time that he was able to, you know, overcome Andy and win his seventh world title, it seems odd that they left that out because that that would be like such a profound moment. Like Kelly came in saying, you know, this is the best day of my life. I could live it over and over again. I would. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. And it just tripped me out that it was in February. Like it, one, I kind of always thought that was a tropical swell there. I didn't think that was a middle of the winter swell. Me too. In Barbados. I mean, there's like the wind was mellow. It's usually an issue all February. Um, and two, just doing the math there, like he's about to go on this world title crusade. I guess he didn't know it at the time, but to invest that much in making a surf film when you're at that point in your career, I, it's wild. You just don't see that anymore. Well, I wonder like how much of it was him thinking like, oh, I need to get this part versus like, oh, this is one of my favorite waves in the world. There's a really good swell going there. I'm just going to go because one of the things that I appreciate most about Kelly is that despite all he's achieved and all of his ventures outside of surfing business, you know, he loves to golf and do whatever the fuck else he does is at his like truest, truest core. He is just like an absolute passionate surfer, like will at the drop of the hat kind of do like drop anything that he's doing in that moment if there's like a really good swell going somewhere and he's able to chase it and that's what makes him so appealing like more so than a Gabriel Medina type you know who really just seems like he's in it to win but Kelly you know you could strip away all the titles and everything and he'd still be chasing waves even at this age 50 like we saw he just went to Kandui during the the what was it brazil event or something this year you know what i mean like (laughs) he just loves surfing he loves getting barreled just insane he taylor said it's the most present he's ever seen him and obviously he's worked with kelly extensively over the course of both their careers and i always remember there's a clip that stuck out in campaign two where he is on a tough light board and i remember just like it's red and yellow and it was just like oh like it just stuck out to me then watching it as like a kid and in this best surfing I've ever seen clip, Taylor explains that Kelly just pretty much broke every single board on the island. He just wouldn't get out of the water. So he was just like, and the way he was surfing and approaching that wave, like boards were going to break. And so like he was riding Taylor's boards at one point. It just seems like it was a, a really cool moment of seeing like a hyper-focused Kelly with insanely good waves. I like how unique that wave is. Like it's not just like, a perfect wave it's not even like it's like got a weird bend in it and just like a crazy crazy interesting wave to watch and to watch kelly surf at that level it's just uh i understand why it's the best surfing taylor steel's ever seen and to be clear too like he didn't just film campaign two on this trip he actually filmed his sipping jet streams part um and the same exact swell and to me those were like my two favorite parts growing up one because i felt like it was probably kelly at his peak two because Supol was a wave that I'd been to before, like being from the East Coast. Barbados is like one of those places like Puerto Rico that you just end up going to. And so I had like some affiliation with it. And then, yeah, there were just some like moments in it that just stood out to me so much. Like there's there's the crazy like 
floater where he does like five hops on top of the lip and then tries to like jump over the explosion so good that one (laughs) it's so sick um and then there's a couple tubes where he's just like playing with the foam ball so much and it's that view like looking into it and you can just see he's just toying with it and to that point I want to get to one of the comments left on this video um, on stabmag.com by one of our premium subscribers. He goes by the name of Clamps. And he said, man, I loved sipping jet streams. I always wondered how much more Ozzy and Benji clips are out there from those days. You only see a few clips of them like this one, like in this one interview of Oz packing a meaty backhand tube, but I assume they were there for the entire swell too. So we actually asked Taylor Steele about this because yeah in the in the sipping jet streams part um Ozzy and Benji both get like a wave or two Ozzy gets a really good backside tube and Benji gets a wave or two as well but yeah we asked Taylor like what's the deal where do those guys waves go because they didn't have them in a Taylor Steele film that we'd ever seen um or any other film really for that matter and what Taylor basically said without really saying is that they were fucking terrified like (laughs) (laughs) he was like yeah basically like they they were like a little like he said um benji specifically came in really rattled from one session he was like man it's like really and benji's like basically grew up in hawaii like on the north shore in front of pipeline and he's like yeah it was really gnarly out there um so yeah i get the sense that um timmy kern was there as well and i've never seen a clip of him from this swell so while they were you know maybe getting a few waves in between like kelly it just it lends so much more credence to what kelly was doing out there like the crazy floater surfing that day that was like clearly maxed out and still just going on nuts ones um and yeah all these different things he was doing playing with the foam ball like he was just doing that while other high level pro surfers of that time were basically shitting bricks yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. Go watch it, folks. You'll love it. Turns out you can win CT events while chasing a university degree. This story came from just kind of a random remark Stace made on one of our podcasts where he said there's never been more CT surfers studying while they're on tour. And after that, I hit him up. I was like, what do you mean? Like, who are these people? Like, let's let's talk about this. It sounds really interesting. So this story is the result of that. Uh, we talked to three surfers, Joanna Faye, Isabella Nichols, and Liam O'Brien, who qualified for the CT last year, hurt himself, didn't get to surf, but now he looks like he's going to be back on for 2023. And all three of them are getting degrees while competing on the CT. It's... It's pretty fascinating, Mikey. What do you make of it? I mean, this is great, right? Like, as we've seen in how surfers get paid, surfers are pretty much screwed nowadays. Like, they have a couple of golden years if they're lucky where they're on tour and maybe they're getting big sponsorship contracts, but those are tending to be less than they ever were. They're tending to dry up quicker than they ever were. CT careers are very tenuous, obviously, depending on on your level in there. And this will help them create opportunities for themselves post-career, which for most surfers is what, like mid-30s? You know what I mean? Like most people are working until they're 65, so they still have more than half of their working life to go after they're done with surfing. But more importantly, this is really great for me. Ooh, always got an angle, don't you? Because if you think about it, if we can get everyone in the CT, the CS, the QS, and like the next 20,000 best surfers in the world enrolled in like full-time academia, I think I can finally become a professional surfer. You think so? I Go on. I mean, I... 
I mean, I already, I already did my time in school, right? So I've got that as a backup. And with all these other surfers totally preoccupied with getting degrees, not able to put the time in the water, not able to go on trips, who's the surf industry going to fall back on? Me. Okay, well, well, think, okay, I see your angle. I appreciate it. But this story goes into that. We ask those surfers whether or not they feel like this is puts them at a disadvantage. Like, hey, like, most people can just put 100% of their life into surfing as best as they can and being ready for that next heat. You are going to college. Uh, is, is that hard? And Liam actually recounts a story where he was a wild card at Rottnest at the same time. I think he had a physics, a physics exam. And so he's got like a CT jersey, as, you know, he's surfing on a CT as a wild card and has to deal with this exam. And going into it, he was stressed about if he could handle it all. And he's like, turns out I did well on both. Like, nailed the exam. I think he made the quarters there. So it was like, got great results on both. So no, I think you're still fucked. I think you still have to joy ride your way into, into uh, surf stardom. <laughs> well, there have been probably some, some studies on this that show that people perform their best when their backs against their wall the wall to a large degree like you you heard both Liam and Isabella say basically that when they weren't doing any sort of study and they were just focused on surfing they sort of like it's almost like you take your eye off the ball because life's a little bit too easy and when you put yourself in a situation where you you have deadlines and you feel like you're almost being like pulled in a lot of different directions it may feel like a lot but you end up getting the best out of yourself because you are so just like focused and intent every single day. Yeah. I wonder if it's a psychological thing too. If like their competitors are going to read this and just like next time they show up for a heat, just be like, fuck, like you just came off like a, you're going to school too. Are mid lanes anything more than sexed up woke mini mouths? No. Next topic. <laughs> Pretty much. I love Paul wrote this title and I just love like sexed up Minnie Mouse would work, but then just calling them woke, calling, calling a mid lane woke. <laughs> There's just something so funny about that to me. Um, it's a great read. Obviously there's some humor in the title, but Paul talks to some people. He gives you some historical insight and we're going to hear from him here. I don't know if it's going to be about uh, mid lanes or about fish dinners or really what it's going to be about, but we do have a voice note coming from him. Yes, Dad Potters, Evans here, reporting from beautiful Levanto, Italy, um, camping with the family, just drove here from France, and I just had a little focaccia with vegetables, they were so delicious, a little bit of pee-pee came out the end of Makiki. Um, yeah, I wrote a story about the mid-length crisis um, on Star Premium, all about yeah, slightly long, moderately longer boards. Um, and I chatted to Devon Howard, not to be confused with Devon Miles from Knight Rider. Devon Howard knows loads about mid-lengths. And we had a chat about the, the genre and how the boards work and how to surf them. And he gave a super hot tip. Um, if you're thinking about buying one, feel the rails. Make sure they're not too thick. Loads of other stuff in there as well in the article about, yeah, where they came from. Are they are they shit? Are they good? Are they just mini mouse that have been rebranded? Find out by reading the article. Um, and I guess you you think the short answer to that question is no? No, I, that was rude of me. Um, I actually do have some more nuanced thoughts on this. If you're willing to indulge me, yeah, go. Well, first of all, since we last chatted, I, I admitted maybe I don't know five 
four months ago on the podcast that I had ridden a mid length. I actually rode my first one on the electric acid surfboard test with Mason and Coco. And then I, I got another one made by Pagan, Matt Pagan, who I'm actually doing a joyride with Matt Pagan um, soon, not on the mid length, on a fish. But anyway, I've had some pleasurable experiences on a mid length. So I wanted to know if since we last chatted, have you ridden one? Have you ever ridden a mid length? No, but I can confess to last weekend it was big and stupid wind and um, I didn't want to drive anywhere. And so I just went out front and I put these really weird fins in like this six eight quad that I have, like these weird Tomo fins to make it like really weird and loose. That's like like the curvy ones. Yeah, those crazy like hatchet looking things. Um, <laughs> does that count? <laughs> no, I don't think that counts. <laughs> but I guess it's still it still made me get like the theory of it. It was like my idea was like, hey, I want a lot of foam because it was a lot of swell and it was a lot of water moving and I wanted to be able to like get in the waves and I wanted to be able to turn it, which I guess is like the idea of that board. Yeah, I think so. So like a little anecdote here. Um, I have a friend. He's actually the guy that films and edits the joyrides with me. His name's Ben. I went to college with him. And um, part of his joyride deal was that he would get a board for every board that I tested. So that was like part of his payment, essentially. Incredible deal. Incredible deal. Nice work, Ben. Yeah, well, it was. We, he thought it was until he actually got a um, he got a pagan mid-length as his payment for this upcoming joyride. And he's absolutely obsessed with it. So he brought it to Indonesia along with, you know, three or four of his other boards that he'd gotten from the joyride over the years. And he pretty much only rode the pagan the entire time. And he basically, like, had a revelation while he was there. He's like, man, I just turned 30. I probably gained a little weight, like, you know, I'd order all these boards when I probably weighed a little bit less. All these boards that I have now feel, like, too small for me. There were, like, multiple instances where he was, like, literally trying to paddle into waves at Lakey Peak and would get, like, stuck at the top and have to, like, jump, and he was just, like, kind of a miserable experience. And he's like, yeah, I think I might be, like, a mid-length guy now. And this is like somebody that I like grew up with and hung out with and he's like my age and yeah. So it's pretty crazy to see somebody go through that sort of transformation right in front of your eyes. And it does make me sort of wonder if that is something that's going to happen to all of us at one point or another. Well, yeah, I mean, I've always associated mid lanes with paganism, so I think it could happen. Um, And the whole point of this story, I guess, is just to, maybe you'll love them, maybe you'll fall in love with them, maybe you'll start doing satanic rituals. I don't know, but one takeaway that I want people to have is that don't think they're new, they are just sexed up, woke Minnie Mouse, yes, they're different, yes, they've evolved, yes, you can turn them, yes, there's different things that they do, but still, at the end of the day, this board has been around a while, it's trendy right now, you might love it, you might become a satanist, but anyway, let's hear from all right it is surfs in time and guess what folks coming right into the northern hemisphere winter season we have got a snow bro a constant theme here we've had an onslaught of snow bros this one we have just an outwardly addressed snow bro which i like um again the snow bro confession seems to be a theme and it seems to be a one of those ones where it's almost a confession on behalf of somebody where in this case it's an implication it's um he assumes some responsibility for bringing someone out there. Again, a theme that we see, but it's a snow bro and perfect time for um, 
for the Northern Heavy Winter. What's up, fellas? The name's Joe. I'm uh, coming at you with a little surfs in from New Hampshire. Uh, believe it or not, we do have a little bit of a coastline. Um, so anyways, I got this buddy who's, uh, we can call him Snowbro. Uh, he's, he's getting into surfing and uh, really loving it. Um, I, I think it was spring of 2021 that this was and uh so we were just grinding away at some like one to two foot days and you know he was learning how to get up get down the line starting to get a hold of it you've got him on like this mid length and you know we start I start to see that uh in the forecast that there's some swell filling in and so you know he's like all about it I mean the kid's been to Hawaii before and thrown himself into some gnarly shore break so I knew he wasn't like gonna be scared but um it was going to be really good at this one spot that's uh, like this pretty popular reef break that's normally better on like a mid to low tide. But, you know, we we were looking at it and it was going to be super glassy in the morning and, I, and it was going to be a little bit of a higher tide. So I figured like might as well bring him out, throw him into the fire a little bit, see what's going on. And when we drove by, there were only like three guys out and I and I recognized the car of like two of them. So I was like, all right, you know what? Like this is the time to get the kid out there. I mean, it was only like three to five feet East Coast, so nothing crazy. And the waves are a little bit softer at high tide. So it was pretty user-friendly. So anyways, hour goes by, we're having a sesh. He's probably caught like three waves, um, got down the line and he, you know just frothing out of his mind and um all of a sudden we uh we see this guy paddle out who uh is known as the general in the local area because he just kind of sits out the back with this nine foot board and directs traffic in the lineup uh he, you know he's notorious for being a little bit of an asshole i mean he's been surfing there since he's been like seven years old and guy's like 67 now so decent bit of time but yeah he just doesn't want to share waves with anyone uh i mean i've been surfing the spot for years and uh yeah he still doesn't even you know look me in the eye so yeah he's definitely a tough one to get around so my buddy the snow bro he uh you know he's super outgoing he just starts talking it up with this guy and you know he's just the general's not having it um so anyways my buddy could like kind of sense that and he's sitting on the inside a little bit and all of a sudden this like big set wave comes and general's like all over it because you know sitting out the back with a nine foot board he's gonna catch anything he wants and uh you know he's you know just starts ripping down the line whatever like my uh my buddy who's on the inside he's paddling out towards the channel so he gets out of this guy's way and he ends up making it out like 25 feet past the shoulder and the general's just heading straight for him, like, put himself way out of the pocket, like, just gunning for my buddy, and ends up, like, mowing him over, my buddy jumps off his board, uh, the general runs into the board, you know, puts a six-inch gash through the rail, like, just super bad, starts freaking out at my friend, telling him to go to, go up the street to the state beach, and, like, all this shit, um, yeah, and my buddy was pretty bummed. He got a pretty bad dang. So, just trying to trying to get some insight from you guys. See if uh, see if this is you know something that I should be responsible for, or you know if the general is just being a dick, or you know shouldn't bring my buddy out and at the at the local spot with like all the all the better guys. I don't know. 
Um, looking forward to my penance. Thanks, boys. You. All right. Yeah. So, like I said, it's a theme. Like we get we get a fair few of these where it's just you take somebody out there and something goes wrong and you feel guilty because you were implicated in the sin. What do you got on it, Mikey? Well, it's crazy to me, actually, the parallels between this and the one that happened, I think, in Canada, was it? That might have been the original Snowbro. Was that the original Snowbro? Somewhere in the Northwest, yeah. Somewhere either Northwest or Canada. Or the Pacific Northwest? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's it's pretty much the same exact story. And my response is the same. You shouldn't have brought that guy out there, clearly. Um, also sounds like old guy on the nine-foot board is a bit of a dick, yeah, well, like you he kind of can be once he hits 67 or whatever he said he was. But what tripped me out about that guy is he's like, that's how you're going to tell somebody to get out of the water? You go, go to another beach? Like, what the fuck? Usually you just say, like, gut, like you scream at a person if you're going to call the general and you're going to be all loke about it. Like, he's like, go to the state beach. The, the tide will be good there now. It's incoming. Like, like what's this guy's <laughs> deal, general? Well, remember, this is after he ran him over and put a six-inch gash in his surfboard. So, mm. you know, there's actions speak louder than words. Okay, okay, sure. But anyway, keep going, keep processing. Yeah, so obviously you shouldn't have brought that guy there. Um, it's you just, first of all, like, don't bring someone somewhere regardless of localism if their their ability is not there to, to suit it. Like, it just doesn't make sense. And then, yeah, adding the local aspect to it, like it just, it was just a dumb move. So absolutely a surf sin. Um, Buck, what do you got for a penance? So I want to get one back on the snow bros. Um, and I don't know how, because any experience I've had snowboarding, people are very pleasant. Um, you just go out there, you sit on a chair, and you walk into the lodge at lunch, and there's just a bunch of people with red puffy cheeks eating soup. You know, it's like a weird, I don't really know how to create chaos in that environment but but you realize that you only think that because you are the snow bro like that's what snow bros think that surfing is largely as well that we we never eat soup what was the last time you ate soup <laughs> just think about it though it's like we go there and all we see are like you know resort people and, and the, you know that they try to make they tailor this experience to the paying masses and whatnot but in reality there are people who've been on that mountain for 40 years who hate the way that the whole thing is developed and they're probably out in the back country like trudging up the mountain so that they can go down and have like an empty slope (laughs) i wonder how bad your snow terminology is right now i wonder you're probably just like you know they're just they're just paddling out there and hanging 10 like i'm sure that you just made some maybe you already did this guy's sin of like making a core snowboarder cringe but you just trudging back in the slopes to get a free ride. Like, what? <laughs> Jesus. We're all snow bros somewhere. Well, you have to do what Mikey did. My penance is to do what Mikey did, but just in actions. Like, be that far removed from core snowboarding culture in front of your friend and make him feel embarrassment for you. I mean, it sounds like the general is just being a dick, so, like, it's not a huge sin whatever you just need to make your friend feel that just like uneasiness in his stomach based off of something that you do in snowboarding <laughs> i think that's actually probably the, the fairest way to go about this because it is just it's one for one eye for an eye um i don't even think i need to add my penance i think that's it you got to go snowboarding with your snowbro friend and do all the wrong things hold your snowboard whichever the, the wrong way is i don't know if the the bindings go in or out 
um, yeah, just figure out, just get a list of all the, all the no-nos in snowboarding culture and get into it. That's all. Yeah. Go trudge through your back country and find your, uh, your magic <laughs> slope, brother. <laughs> we'll be waiting for you in the lineup. Thank you as always for listening to the drop and you can send your surf sins to Michael at stabbang.com or bucketstabbang.com. Um, I told you, you know, over the years that we were going to get to all of them. And truth be told, we almost have. I think we've, we've, we're sort of scraping the bottom of the barrel of surfsons right now. And for the fact that, you know, over 10,000 people listen to this podcast every single week, I got to think there's more than a hundred of you with surfsons. So if you haven't sent yours in yet, send it in. We're going to deliver a penance. It'll help you heal. It'll be good for everyone. Uh, other than that, yeah, just happy to be back and let's see what happens next week in surfing over and out.